To have passion in life is everything. What's your Everest? Oh, is it yeah. that 200 inch box? They just look so impressive when they're wide. Especially running away. <laughs> Welcome to this week's episode of Eastman's Elevated. It's like a think tank for outdoor activity. Sounds exactly like my hunting. Just always thinking about it, always trying to evolve it and make it better. Here's your host, Brian Barney. Hey, what's happening, guys? Got a brand new Eastman's Elevated for you. So on today's podcast, I have on my friend Roger Holscher. Uh, so it's the first time I've had Roger on the podcast, but we've become friends over the last couple of years. Uh, Roger is a, a great hunter and uh, really proficient with his weapons, with his rifle and with his bow. And so uh, we get into it today on the podcast. We talk about a great buck he just harvested on a limited entry tag that he drew. And so we talk over that, uh, talk over a season, we get into elk hunting, uh, elk hunting in the timber, still hunting and things, so a real fascinating conversation there. Uh, and then we get into rifles and accuracy and, and um, calibers and things of that nature as uh, he's just extremely knowledgeable. And so uh, I learned a bit on the conversation. I really enjoyed it. I think you guys will enjoy it too. I want to thank my sponsors for today's show. I want to thank Cryptech. Uh, Cryptech has built me a technical hunting system unparalleled by anything I've ever had. Um, they just build great gear. Uh, they use the the shoulder rain fabric, which is a great rain gear. But um, I, I'm really enjoying like the fit of their pants. Uh, I'm enjoying uh, the different layers. Like I have a system for every different season, from hot weather, early season, all the way to right now in the late season where it's bitter cold. Um, they just have a, a, a great technical offering for us hunters out there to keep us comfortable and keep us out there longer. So if you're in the market for some new gear, make sure to check it out. I'm also really impressed by this camo pattern. pattern. This Obscura Transitional, uh, I've been using that the majority of the season, and it just blends in perfectly with the, the different habitats that I'm hunting. Uh, my buddies say the same thing as they have trouble glassing me up, you know, unless I'm moving or unless I'm silhouetted on a ridgeline. They say that camo really blends in good. So I think it's the best camo pattern out there that really gives me an advantage uh, while bow hunting. So if you're in the market for some new camo, make sure to go check them out over at Cryptech. They're doing great things. I also want to thank Savage. I want to thank Savage Rifles, uh, the best out-of-the-box accuracy rifles built. Uh, these things are, are just shooters. Like, I I built up a, a Savage, put a Sig Sauer scope on it. Man, I had that thing sighted in and and, and shooting nails, like, into the... Uh, into the target within a few shots. So I'm so impressed. Um, I was able to stretch out the accuracy and um, just so accurate and gets along with my ammo so well and just great shooting rifles. They have a bunch of different models. So all the way from their base model, which is a great shooter, uh, their 110 Ultralight is a favorite of the Eastman's crew. It's a great mountain rifle. So uh, those rifles, they offer uh, an accu trigger so you can adjust the trigger yourself, don't have to take it into a gunsmith. Uh, they also have an accu stock where you can adjust the length of pole and the, the comb height to really fit your face or fit your body for the most accurate rifles built. So if you're in the market for an accurate rifle, uh, make sure to go check them out over at Savage. 
I also want to thank Outdoor Edge Knives. Outdoor Edge Knives is a replaceable blade knife, and they're built burly and strong, and uh, a real good edge on these replaceable blades. They're just always sharp. I don't have to carry multiple knives or a sharpening stone. I can just stick a few blades in my pack with this knife, super lightweight, and I can butcher an entire elk or an entire deer with it. Um, It's nice with an elk. Those hides are so thick that when that blade starts to dull, I just change it out, and I got a fresh blade and it makes it where I can really butcher up these elk quick, uh, get my field processing done. I hunt a lot of hot seasons where um, you know time is of the essence to get this bull cooled down, so I need to get them processed and out. And, um, you know, it, it just does the job. So if you're in the market for a new knife, make sure to go check them out at Outdoor Edge. I also want to thank Black Ovis. Uh, Black Ovis is an internet retail store. They offer absolutely everything for the hunt. Uh, They carry all the top name brands, including their own brand, which I've been really impressed with. And um, yeah, they offer great deals on it. Uh, You can save 10% off if you put in the code ELEVATED10. That'll save you 10%. And um, man, they're just, um, they're all hunters in there as well. They've got a real knowledgeable staff. If you have any questions or if you're Uh, comparing a couple different products, you can call up, talk to those guys. They'll help you out, make sure you get the right gear for the right hunt. Uh, So check them out over at Black Ovis. I also want to thank Camo Fire. Uh, Just a great app where you get 80 new hunting deals every 24 hours. Uh, There's huge discounts on top name brands. So you can really pick up some good gear if you watch this site. Uh, If you're in the market for something or looking to upgrade a piece of your gear and you watch this, um, there's deals that come up on the gear that you need. So check them out at Camo Fire. And with that, over at Eastman's, um, we're just cruising along here, getting out articles. Uh, we have the magazines, Eastman's Bow Hunting Journal, Eastman's Hunting Journal, and um, that new Beyond the Grid of Mine dropped. Uh, last season, Rut Hunt, uh, his backpacking hunt, uh, really fun one. Proud of how that one came out. So you can check that out on uh, uh, Eastman's Hunting TV on YouTube. And um, yeah, check out our um, our mule deer course. I'm really proud of how that came out. I think you can really cut your learning curve by years uh, by taking this course and getting it done within a couple weeks. There's over 100 videos on there continuing to update, and um, yeah, I'm really happy at how this came out. It's, it's pretty much everything I know about mule deer hunting. It's what I've learned the last 25 years traveling around the West hunting mule deer. So uh, if you're in the market for that, you can go check that out at Eastman's Mule Deer School. And with that, let's get into this podcast. Um, so uh, this is Roger Holster. Um, yeah, just a, a great guy, great hunter, um, just a, a fascinating, good conversation. And um, this is first time being on Eastman's Elevated, but definitely won't be his last. Uh, I'm your host, Brian Barney, Eastman's Elevated. Here we go. Oh, yeah. Um, well, first and foremost, dude, congrats on that great late season buck, man. That's awesome. I appreciate it, man. Now, you had a lot of a lot in it as far as uh, handing me having that buck down. I mean, you gave me a lot of info, and I appreciate it. Oh, yeah, no worries. Um, no, just uh, sharing what I know, but you've been um, – You've been you've been in that range a bunch over the years. I bet um, it was pretty special to have a tag there, be able to uh, immerse yourself in that country. Yeah, I've I've been pretty pretty lucky the last couple years. Um, I've had a, 
a coworker had that the bull tag in that unit, um, rifle bull tag in October um, a couple years ago, and then last year my buddy Chris's grandpa drew that tag. So I've been hunting elk in that unit for the last couple of years, and then seeing some big bucks. So I know they're in there, but there's a lot of difference between mid October and mid November. <laughs> uh, things change drastically in the Muley Mountains in between those two dates. That's for yeah. sure, right? Yeah, that's that's for sure. Yeah, uh, elk hunting good in there. Yeah, there's uh, the bull to cow ratio in there is kind of funky. There's a lot of bulls, which means a lot of broken bulls, and so a lot of guys, you know, the time they get that October tag, yeah, it, it goes all the way into November. Uh, I think it ends uh, Thanksgiving Day. But a lot of guys just pass on really nice bulls just because they're broken, because they fight so much because of the bull to cow ratio. But there's there's some giants taking that unit all the time. All right. Yeah, rock and roll. Um, dude, I know I saw some great bulls in there, and I've um, I'm just trying to get lucky enough to draw in there. But I saw some great bulls. It looked like really good hunting. It looked like they. At least when I was in there, I saw them up higher on the mountain, like up in those Alpine basins. But that was like September time frame. Yeah, yeah. That, gosh, I guess when I've been in there, it's been mid to late October. Um, kind of getting them second cycle cows and still having good bugling and rutting activity. But um, I'd imagine they've probably came a little bit lower off the mountain by then. But yeah, that's <clears throat> this unit. It's a it's kind of a weird topography, you know, you can kind of depending on what side of the unit you go to, you know, the, the area that you sent me, you know, that kind of plateau, kind of, kind of plateauish rim rock country down into the area I shot my buck was kind of more in the sagebrush, juniper, kind of not as topographist. So it's, it was hard to get a high vantage point and really do a lot of good glassing because mm. of that topography but you're you're right there's like not a master vantage point right it's like you just kind of get looks at canyons or you get you know you get a decent vantage point but you can't see the world from it you just like see a piece yeah. of it and then you kind of exactly. got to move around and there's so many bottoms in there that if you're not fairly tight or looking into that one canyon you're in you could sure miss them in there dude yeah you could you could be walking right by them and you'd never know it just and that's ended up how we, how I ended up killing this buck was, uh, kind of not doing a drive, so to speak, but we gently bumped. We knew there was deer in that, this little draw, and we just kind of gently bumped him, um, up to a hillside that I could see him. And sure enough, there he was. You know, that's something you probably couldn't do with an archery tag, but, you know, luckily having a rifle, it was, uh, it was a tactic that I could use. Oh, for sure. Yeah, it's um, yeah, it's wild. There are other tactics you can use, like uh, uh, different weapons and things. Like rifle, you have that extended range to be able to shoot where they exit, or um, you know, and especially if you've got you know a couple hundred yards or a few hundred yards in between you and the deer, you know, they're they're uh they're more apt to like stop and and look back or stop and look around or you're able to have time you're not right in their grill so man i could see where that would be really advantageous yeah and that's exactly what it was kind of like all right we're gonna just ease down wind was in our face you know we were kind of going down the finger ridge that this draw was in and 
we knew there was deer i could see a spike and a doe but just so thick with the juniper and the sage you just couldn't see everything you knew and you know October, uh, November 15th, he knew there was going to be more than a spike with the, these does. And so we just kind of went down and just the spike stood up and just kind of eased off. And I knew he was going to take the rest of them with him. And yeah, sure enough, it was that typical Western mule deer pose, you know, quartered away, looking back over his shoulder at me at 120 yards and gave me enough time to, to put one in the boiler. But no doubt on that one, right? When you see yeah. him, like, just take your breath away. Dude, oh. what a buck. Yeah. He just had it all. A great frame and extras and dark horns, yeah. man. What a buck. I'll have to send you a picture of him. I never did get one of them on the hoof, but uh, a buddy that has been in that unit hunting elk this year saw him about a week before I shot him and got a picture through a spotter, which was cool, and he sent it to me, but... Yeah, I saw him right away, you know, naked eye standing there on the hillside between two junipers. And I told my buddy, I was like, shooter, shooter. And he was like, hold on, wait, wait, wait. He was kind of my, my barometer. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm a, I'm a shoot first and then kind of go up there and see what it is later sometimes. <laughs> and so he was, he was like, wait, wait, wait. And he looks up through his, you know, his binos. And I had at that point pulled up my binos, got a range. And he, uh, yeah, he's like, yeah, I think he's a shooter. I'm like, dude, he's got a kicker on one side. I only saw one of the droppers, not the second one. And I was like, he's wide. He's got a kicker. He's got a dropper. I was like, he's a shooter. He's like, yeah, 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 I think you're right. And as he was getting ready to pull out his phone to try to record it. Pow! <laughs> I wasn't going to give him any time to wander off. And, and there was plenty of you know, room for me to shoot if he would have gone a little bit further. But you know, they can disappear in that juniper country so easy that I just didn't want to give him a chance. <laughs> yeah. I, I would be a terrible, like, TV hunter. Just, I, I don't wait for it. <laughs> That's why I am a terrible TV hunter. Oh, well, <laughs> no, you got, you, you got to capitalize on those opportunities oh, when yeah. they come. And for me, I just, uh, I trust the cameraman's doing his job. And we, you know, we won't have five minutes of playtime, but I'm sure we got some footage before I got back to folder off. <laughs> yeah, right. And that's, man, I, I know you've missed some opportunities just trying to get stuff on film just through the you know, be on the grid stuff. But yeah, it's it's tough. Oh, it is tough. But yeah, uh, no, you have to capitalize. You you get a chance like that and he's in range. Uh, Got to make it happen. But it is easy to make a mistake, especially on mule deer, like judging. It seems like you almost have yeah. to make that mistake, uh, you know, getting some ground shrinkage or the buck isn't quite as big as you thought before you, you really get a good eye for him. Now, your deer, yeah. there is no doubt, right? There's like, a, yeah. that's not one you question. But, you know, some <laughs> of those in-betweeners, you know, they can fool a guy or or uh, they, they've been known to fool me in the past for sure. Oh, man. And that's that's why Chris was, you know, wait, 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 tell me to wait. Because I had the tag for the unit just south of there, similar tag, same time frame, November 1 to November 24, that my first year up here. And it uh, I shot a buck on the run going across the sage flat that, you know, looked real good as he was running across the sage flat. And then we walked up to him and I was like, I mean, Nice buck, good representation of the species, but, you know, wasn't the caliber of buck I killed this year. So, you know, wasn't disappointing him at all, but 
there was definitely some ground shrinkage. <laughs> yeah, I but, know what you're talking about. I'm like never disappointed or sad or mad I yeah. shot a deer, you know, but they just sometimes you get up and go, gosh, that's that's not quite the buck I thought it was. Like I thought yeah. I thought he was probably like five <laughs> or six and he's actually three, you know, <laughs> it's like, yeah. but it, it seems like you have to make that mistake once or twice before you learn your lesson to, um, you know, of what a good buck looks like because they all look big on the head. Right. And that's the the buck I shot in October was kind of like that. I didn't get much of a look at him. I got four seconds of a video through my spotter and he looked giant facing, you know, kind of quartered again, quartered away going downhill on this finger ridge. And I got four seconds of video and he looked wider than he was. I mean, he's still I think he's 26 and a half, 27 wide, but his ears were pinned back just a little bit. So in the video, it looks like he's just, you know, 30 plus super, super good frame on him. And I walked up and I was like, yeah, it's a four by three, really nice buck, but it was, wasn't what I had imagined it to be, you know, when yeah, I walked up there. I do know. <clears throat> yeah. It seems like, uh, a, a 30 inches wide on the head, you know, looks like he's 40 inches wide when you see him. Like it's such a big buck when they go 30 or 32 or 33. They look so wide. You'd yeah. guess them at 40 inches dang near, you know, if you, uh, they're just easy to, easy to fool. Oh, yeah. And then sometimes, you know, you kill a buck like, man, I was hunting, um, this spot in Wyoming and it was, um, just this bomber mule deer year. So I had, I drawn a Colorado and a Wyoming the same year, which is, I don't like to draw them in the same time frame. So I was like, I had, I had to hunt them back to back. I had 15 days to hunt two states or something like that. Or I think it oh, opened wow. like the last Saturday in August. So maybe I had like, I think I was on like day 16 or something, but it was, it was like a, a mule deer extravaganza early season, two of my favorite states, two of my favorite places and went and hunted, um, Colorado and uh, my buddy Dan filled out he killed a really nice buck there man I took it down to the end of the hunt hunting a great buck and um man in the in the end I wasn't able to kill him he like uh, uh had him at 30 yards walking away from me and he ended up stopping like um had like 65 66 sounds familiar you know it's been a while but I I remember right at the shot he rolled left and my arrow went right by like his the front of his shoulder and chest right there and yeah. um so then Man, he... that's so hard with those quartered away shots if they turn that way you just straight miss they turn the other way you pinwheel them <laughs> you know? yeah yeah exactly and <clears throat> so it was a heartbreaker but dan killed a good buck and then we went straight to wyoming and then we took it down to the end and on the like last night we had there we spotted a buck and this buck i had seen him around camp and i thought you know, we thought he was like a 170-inch deer. He had good forks. He actually rubbed or rubbed his velvet right below camp, and it was like, yeah, if we get a chance at that buck late in the hunt, you bet. And you know, 170, he's a great buck. There was just some oh, giants yeah. running around, and uh, a buck I would have been happy with for sure. 170 is a giant for me. And so the last night, I catch him, and I'm able to make a run on him and put a perfect arrow through him. And it was like the end of 16 days of hunting mule deer. And I Jeez. walked up to my 170-inch deer, and he was 192. <laughs> holy cow <laughs> it's so that's, heavy uh, so big good, <laughs> yeah good man change. his um 
his ears were 27 inches wide, tip to tip. He had wow. the, the biggest, most giant head I had ever seen. And that was part of it. And then, yeah, I, you know, in velvet, I should have judged him a little bit bigger, but just really good deep forks front and back. He had a couple stickers, like just, um, oh, uh, just a great buck. Just, but yeah, oh, that's, man. there isn't many that have grown on me, but that one did, as I'm sure your last one grew on you a little bit too, when you yeah, walked up, that mass is just a different caliber, isn't it? Oh man, and it's you know this like I said, I didn't see the second dropper, and my buddy said he had a second dropper, but I was thinking maybe he was thinking about the cheater that was on the other side, but I didn't know he had two of them when I walked up there. But yeah, the mass is, and I'm looking at him right now next to my other bucks here on the wall, and it's it's I thought the buck I shot last year was a uh, just had great mass, and he does, but this is like you said, it's just a totally different caliber, man, and it's it makes his. Those bucks with great mass are hard to judge because their their tines don't look as big. Yeah, you know, which is I would probably with that buck you were just talking about probably why you, you just misjudged him a little bit just because of how massive he was, the sneaky tine length. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, no, you're right. Like mass makes the buck or the bull. Like to me, that's like one of the the best characteristic you can get, and it you know it usually means an older age class animal. But you're right in that that mass is hard to judge. Like even with bulls uh, and with bucks too, it's just like everything looks good on them, but nothing stands out. Nothing yeah. looks super long because everything's in proportion. But man, you get up there and those main beams just go forever. You know that mass, it really does carry length to it it just doesn't appear that way like right. through the glass so you're right as they are sneaky sometimes when they have that mass well the if they're especially if they're not standing next to other bucks where you can go holy cow that one is so much bigger mass wise you know if they're they're by themselves that's just it's like a bear every bear looks big in the binoculars until they're next to another one <laughs> I always, it seems like uh, I always call out giant bear until I prove otherwise, too. It's like I, your first glimpse of the bear, you know, it's like I, know. I, I say giant or big bear too often, I think. And, and then I'll look at it for a while and go, no, I don't No, He's not quite there. But you're right. They all look big at first. Yeah. And I've I've been pretty, pretty blessed here in Idaho. I've, caught, I've shot a few big bears, but it's not because i'm good at judging bears and passing on little ones to get the big ones i just happen to shoot the first bear i see and it happens to be a good bear yeah it's a good problem to have but i i know and i almost shot a bear during elk season because um, i bought a, a second tag here in idaho general uh, like a deer tag non-resident deer tag and so i'm able to shoot downgrade it to a you know bear mountain lion or a wolf and i really enjoy hunting bears and so the the last day of elk season i was out there i decided to pick up my rifle and go try to kill a bear because there were some bears spotted in a nearby basin and was watching this bear for fuck almost felt like four hours so and i almost shot her a few times i think it was a sow but you know looking at it on the hoof you're like oh man it's a good bear and then the more you look at it through a spotter you're like okay you could really start picking them apart and I don't think I'm ever going to bear hunt again without a spotter. Yeah. Just, it's, it's, everything looks big through a set of tens. You know, it's hard to see the, you know, the width of the ears or the size of the ears on the head or the, the face make out. And, you know, just, it's hard to judge a bear through a pair of tens. Spot on. 
Yeah, no, I I started carrying my scope with me bear hunting or made like a like a hard rule to carry my scope just to make sure it was a bear I wanted to shoot. And to me, it doesn't have to be a giant like, you know, black bears, they aren't the biggest animal. And so, you know, in the in the mountains or where we live in the lower 48, you're in Idaho, I'm in Montana. But the, you know, a, a, a good sized black bear for me is a mature boar that's five and a half foot that's, um, you know, got somewhere around an 18 inch skull like that's a good representation of a bear and a good shooter for me and so i want to make sure it's there as i don't want you know not that that anybody should be ashamed at a four and a half or a five footer i think everybody needs one of those in their collection but you you just kind of learn over the years like what you're happy with and uh that level and it seems like exactly what you're saying you just can't judge those in binos unless you're extremely close and so a lot of the bears i see you know they're they're all I can do to get to them. You know, they will be a canyon away. And so with the scope, I just want to make sure it's a bear I want to shoot before I'm going to commit, you know, that that much effort and coming back in the middle of the night, right. the whole deal about, well, to go all in on a scope. So I'm with you. <laughs> yeah. Well, and you're, I, you know, I'm rifle hunting these bears and you're doing archery. So for me, it's just more of a, okay, should I pull? effective range you're i mean you got to put in a lot of effort to get over there close within range and then if you get over there and you're like mm, you know six hours of my hunt to get over there and put a stock on this bear and it's not what i wanted so that's uh i think probably even more important for you well yeah What's but it, it's easy to put in easy to pull the trigger on a rifle too from a, a larger distance oh, away right. and then you know not be stoked with the the bear or not be the bear that you were looking for anyways yeah no yeah, you're right there too yeah but i think any bear any bear is a good bear for guys it, it's just i think too many people get wrapped up in the, the size of them and oh uh, yeah <clears throat> you see it all the time right oh it's not the it's not the bear i wanted but you know i'm like quit don't don't you don't need to put the bear I wanted, but it's still a good bear. Like you don't need to put that. No, you're you're right. Yeah, no. Like I even find myself in this conversation, like correcting myself when I say, Oh, it's not this or it's not that. Like, you know, it doesn't have to be a record book for me to be psyched, just like my target animal. And I kind of set like a, you know, I've killed enough bears in my bear hunting career where, you know, they are predator control and it is good to take a, a bear out of a, a healthy population, you know, as they do kill elk and deer fawns. And then the bear meat is really good. The the hide is killer. And you're right. Like too many people get uh, caught up in it. And it's, you know, early in my bear hunting career, it was any bear. And then it was, you know, well, I want to make sure it's a boar. I want to make sure it's five foot plus and a boar, you know, and it's just, um, you know, to set a goal like that, you know, it keeps me out in the bear woods longer. I'm learning more obtaining more information and then you know when i kill a kill a bear it's like man that's a good boy like look at his head like man i'm really stoked on that bear like um but you're right that we all have to start somewhere and i think we have to like work our way up the trophy rungs of the ladder um so many so many times 
I think guys set too lofty of of goals, you know, where it, where really it's about building that hunting skill set, like going through the motions and killing a bear, or going through the motions and killing a buck mule deer, or four point muley, or a, you know whatever the the class is, you know, a four year old hundred and fifty inch muley, and then you kind of just work your way up the trophy rungs of the ladder as you build your hunting skill set, as you as you hone your craft and get better, like you get more chances at animals, you find more animals and therefore you can set your goals just a little bit higher at least for for me like that's the the way it's worked but i i think that experience is so key to to kill a bull to kill a bear and and then the next year you can set your sights a little bit higher you can say man i was really happy with that four point if i find another good four point this year i'm shooting it uh but you're you're right it's so easy in social media to get caught up in this size of killing a giant bear and not happy unless it's a giant or not happy unless it's a giant bull. And it's like, man, um, there's, there's just more to hunting than that. No, I, I couldn't agree more. And, and yeah, I think social media does that to everybody. I mean, I've killed my share of forkies, three points, little, little four points, you know, and I've just been real lucky killing the three bears I've killed up here in Idaho. We're all six and a half foot, you know, 18 inch, skull bears and oh, those are good but bears. it was it's it's just pulling the trigger on the first bear i see and it happens to be big right because i was going to be happy with any bear and now that i've got a few good sized bears it's okay maybe yeah maybe next year i'm a little bit more picky or you know the the deer that i've been able to kill up here it's okay maybe next year i'll hold out for you know because these deer i was gonna like short of the two control tags but the two general bucks that i shot i was going to shoot the first mature buck that I saw, I didn't care if it was a, you know, mature three point or, you know, whatever. I've, I've killed really nice 27 inch wide forking horns, you know, that are six and seven years old. So I don't think that's as important to me as the, the age class or just the fact that, and like you said, you got to get experience somewhere, right? You can't just hold out for 10 years to try to shoot a 180 buck. And then by the time you shoot it, you're like, all right, well, I've heard about this gutless method. How do you do it? You know, like, <laughs> you got to start somewhere. You got to, you know, you, you're learning so much more during the hunt when you harvest something as far as the different skills that are needed and the level of suck, right? Like you go out on a three day trip, you're carrying 40, 50 pounds on your pack. And you're like, oh, this is easy. Well, you shoot a buck back there and it's not so easy until you do it. You just don't know. So true. Yeah, it, it is. And, um, yeah, and it's um there's there's just uh like like the time of field the the challenge of it, you know you put so much work and effort into it. The last thing you want to do is be disappointed and so like um uh, disappointed in your harvest once you get them or to feel bad about them or to feel like he should have been bigger or you know should have killed a bigger one. It's like man, we just need to celebrate it and be happy with the meat and happy with the horns. And I tell you, like um you know those those bucks. You know, like I hunt bucks in some different places that are high population and their genetics aren't the best. They're maybe prairie mule deer. And so, you know, a lot of these mule deer, their top end is going to be 150, 160 inches, but they start to get that mass and dark, heavy horns. And, um, uh, you, you know, that's kind of what I set my sight on is just like a, like, a, I'm not too concerned with score or where he's going to land in the book, but I just want a deer that gets me excited. That's an older age class deer. And so, uh, you know, like when I harvest 
one of these deer get an arrow in a good buck like that, man, I mean, it doesn't have to be, you know, I've killed some great bucks. It doesn't have to be my biggest buck for me to be elated. It doesn't have to be 200 inches, 180 inches for me to be totally stoked. It's like I kill the buck I'm after and outsmart 150, 160 inch prairie mule deer with dark, heavy horns and mass that survived out there and avoided hunters. And I, you know, I'm, I'm able to arrow them like I get that buck down. Uh, I promise you, I am just as excited as I am on a giant buck like, uh, you know, um, uh, the the thrills in the chase, you know, and like um uh and, and the fun of the hunt too. And the reality is, is like dude, the last, you know, I'm not gonna kill a, a super giant every season, even every other season, every every th- every three seasons. It just it's um a rare occurrence to find uh you know that 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 gen- the genetics and the age class and and in these units nowadays, like it's just not easy. And so, man, um. You know, it's when when I do harvest a buck, like I love to hunt and I love the stock and the chase and the adventure and the whole experience. And so, man, I'll I'll chase those bucks and be excited and thrilled beyond belief till the day I die and be happy. Oh, I couldn't agree more. You know, you, you you could hunt a long time if you don't ever want to put a stock on a 140, 150 inch four point you know, cause it's not a 180. So I'm not even going to stalk into it with a, a bow. Like how many stocks do you get before you capitalize on it? I don't want the, your first stock to be on a 180 inch buck because you haven't put a stock on something in four years. Cause you haven't seen 180, right? Like it just, there's so much of that experience that comes into hunting, especially mule deer. I think, you know, I'm pretty new to the elk hunting stuff and Every year, it seems every time I fail at a stock or a setup or something, I learn more. But if I never tried it, I, you know, wouldn't learn those things. Yeah, man, that's it. Um, it's the best learning tool, right? Because it it hurts and cuts so deep when you make a mistake <laughs> yeah. on a good bull, right? And so it's yeah. like it's like in, embedded in your memory at that point, you know. When oh. it cuts that deep or it hurts, like uh, us as humans, we're hardwired to remember that and learn from it, you know. And and uh, uh, some of us are better than others. Sometimes, like uh, I got to make the same mistake three or four times before I actually <laughs> learn the lesson. But it yeah. it does stick with you when it cuts so deep when you when you make a big mistake or it doesn't come together it's it's just a a great learning tool like that's how you you know uh, be a student of the game and just continue to learn and continue to get better which gives you a better chance at at killing those bucks and bulls right and not get pigeonholed into to one tactic and that's that cost me a a really nice bull this year Um, actually i think a buddy of mine ended up shooting it in that unit um, with a rifle it was a hundred or a 348 inch seven by six oh and my gosh, just a, what a ball yeah he was alone on the hillside crossing across and and bugling and so you know what's the sexy thing that you see is everybody wants to bugle back and try to get him called in right in your face but he was on a line he knew where he was going and he was going to get there and I tried to call him away from that instead of kind of skirting the ridge line and trying to intersect where he was going to come across and just not make a peep and just ambush him. And, you know, he obviously didn't come in because he was going where he was wanting to go and ended up uh, missing a shot at, or not taking a shot, but just missing an opportunity at a really nice bull just because I was trying to 
do a tactic that I probably shouldn't have done in hindsight. And then the following day, I ended up taking a page out of your book and, and stocking in on some bulls and not even calling and ended up shooting one. And that's a, that's a long story, but yeah, didn't end up. Go ahead. Yeah, there you go, oh, dude. Just, that's yeah, the way just, to work. It, yeah, it, it, it felt so good. And, and I didn't get to put my tag on that bull because it ended up a another guy shot him after I shot him, which was nuts that we were that close to each other and had no idea. But I double long him at 40 yards going through the timber. Had no idea I was there. He runs down 100 yards, stands in front of another guy, and he shoots him. <laughs> and while I'm sitting there waiting for him to die, you know, the giving him an hour and a half or so, just didn't want to bump this bull. The other guy heart shot him, watched him die within 10 seconds, and then he started cutting him up and packing him out by the time I started tracking this bull through the timber. Just, uh, yeah. And, oh, I, and you I told me about that, dude. What a heartbreaker. Yeah. Oh. And, and it, nice six point, little six point, but it, it, you know, everybody's like, oh man, you, the guy, he should have known, but I, Talked to him for quite a while about it, and I don't think he knew that I had shot that bull. I don't think he had any idea. We were both silent. He wasn't making any bugles. I wasn't making any bugles. We didn't know each other was on the mountain. And then I shot the bull on the right side, double long. It, from what it looked like from where I was standing, it didn't get a pass through. Um, kind of, I think his back shoulder was back. His back leg was, or his his offside front yeah. leg was back makes sense and didn't get full penetration then he runs down and the other guy so the left side of the bull was facing the other guy he heart shoots him falls and when you're solo you're not rolling especially elk you're not rolling them over to you know inspect them so i don't i really don't think and that bull broke off that arrow on the way down so i don't think there's any way for that guy to know that i hit that bull ah and yeah, it's just uh, it's a heartbreaker for you, but like uh yeah. like what good understanding and uh decision making in the moment of like not you know, it it, it could have gone down different where you're just like, uh, oh, you know, congratulations, but yeah, it's like this is what what happened, but you know, congratulations on your bowl and walk away and just know like in your heart that you made a kill shot on that bowl when you said didn't get yeah. penetration, you just didn't get the uh, the exit hole, but you got yeah. the penetration to kill no, that 100%, hole. Yeah. But that is so oh, wild. Yeah. You guys were close together that that <laughs> happened. Like I hear stuff like that sometimes, you know, and, um, but yeah, I've never had it personally or had anything like that to any of my buddies or anything, man. That's crazy. Yeah. He, he knew I was in that cause he, he had walked past my camp. He knew I was, he was like, Oh, you the one that's camped up here on the hill. I was like, yeah, but he saw that big six by seven that I saw the night before from a different vantage point. And so he was back on that same hillside trying to find that six by seven like I was. Yeah. But oh well. Yeah, had some ups and downs, but that was still like like you said, a, a great learning experience for me because everything was a, a win. Everything worked out exactly how I planned it, you know, playing the wind, waiting, being patient, you know, kind of still hunting, stalking through this timber, catching them in their bed. They were getting up for their afternoon kind of mill around and it just everything worked out just perfect, which, you know, I can't, uh, I couldn't do it any different than if I had to again. You know, it, was, it just worked out the way I wanted it to. So, 
Yeah, oh, just didn't track them quick enough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah, I know. Uh, no, shooting them. That is, that is right, man. It's like so many wins there and so many good takeaways, you know? And yeah. um, also good, like, that you can, like, analyze that, play on that 6 by 7 and, you know, like, calling might be the right scenario for that bull in the right position in the right day or whatever, but, you know, like, um, uh, y- y- the reason why you looked over it and thought you didn't do what was right is because you didn't listen to your instincts. Like, you told me you knew where that bull was headed and knew that he was going that you almost made like a half ditch effort to try to call him back or something, you know, yeah. when you, when you knew better and knew that you should have, you know, played the game with him and tried to get in front of him or whatever the case is. Yep. hundred percent. And I, I think a lot of people, cause I, I had buddies that was, they were calling me like, Hey man, you know, what's going on? I can't get any bulls to respond. Everything's quiet. You know, I keep watching these bulls go into this one, you know, Quakey patch and just can't they're not calling they're not coming out of it it's like well you know where they're coming from you know where they're going get in between them and ambush them as they're going to their bed you know <laughs> like oh i didn't think about that like everybody gets because it's so prevalent right all the youtube videos you know short of your guys's stuff but most of the stuff you see is the sexy calling in your face screaming bulls and you know a lot of guys are like oh if it's not a if this bull's not wanting to play my game, I leave him and I go to try to find one that does. And that's all fine and dandy, but a lot of people don't have that ability to take that much time to try to find that or, you know, the area or whatever. So you got to hunt the ones that are in front of you the right way that's going to be successful and not pigeonhole yourself into one type of, you know, strategy. Yeah, that's it, man. Um, creative thinking is rewarded in the, in the elk woods and, um, yeah, I um you know what I see too is I see a lot of guys abandon their uh their hunting skills or like their hunting instincts or their hunting knowledge they abandon it and and just rely upon the calls like the calls do work and they call in some bulls but then like you say almost get pigeonholed into it and I see them making plays on elk and not taking into account you know, just even the little things, you know, like walking through open parks as you're approaching the little things like um, uh, uh, not not still hunting through to catch those elk when they're getting close. They're just moving through and bugling, not really looking for them. So they end up exposing themselves, giving themselves away or just not realizing that the elk are moving to their to their bed, you know, and you're chasing them from three quarters of a mile back trying to call them back. And you you never try to make a make a move to get in front of them or uh to jockey and you know to the side of them whatever the case is so yeah i just um i see some guys that like abandon hunting skills that i know they have like uh to use those calls and i think there's a way to use both or to use all the tactics like just to to try to read the situation and read the elk uh really have good win wood sense like when you're in the elk woods to not not blow them up, not get your your wind wrong in there, and be stealthy as your approach and you move around. Uh, but also, like in the right situation, using some calls because they do work and they do call in bulls, and more bulls are killed by calls than anything else. But then also, like being able to stalk and play that game. And I'm, you know, like I've um, honed my craft at stalking bulls because I've been doing it the last 15 years or so. Like, I just like that I can target the herd bulls. I like the element of surprise. Like, I still get the fun of the rut. Like, my best night 
this past year. You know, I must have heard 300 bugles chasing, you know, two bulls that were battling back and forth. And then one bull is a bull that I hunted for three different days that was just had this dragon of a bugle that was just this beautiful big six point. And, um, you know, I played the game with him and jockeyed with him like all night long, never really giving myself away, you know, and then I'm able to go in and hunt him again, like keeping that element a surprise. And, um, but, you know, I think guys would find it, um, like, I think it would surprise guys that, you know, I don't kill every bull I stalk either. Like, um, a lot of times, you know, I'm moving or it doesn't quite work out, or maybe I'm able to back out and get another play the next morning or the next night. But, you know, even this season, like, I think I had, you know, probably three, four plays on bulls, maybe five plays on bulls before I, you know, got a good shot and an arrow in one. Like, it... You know, it, it's something, too, where, you know, I have to continue to to work at to get, get my opportunity. It doesn't always happen, like, on the first time either. Yeah, numbers game, you know, and that's that, that still hunting through timber. I really enjoy doing that, and I think that that's a really underutilized strategy for a lot of guys. Just, you know, you know their bedding areas, those north-facing thick timber slopes. And everybody's like, oh, you can't sneak in through there. Well, there's you go in those areas, and you're like, holy cow, it's just a highway, right? All these huge trails that are beat down. Find a trail that leads through there with the wind in your face and just go as fast as you can quietly. And, you know, stop and glass, stop and glass, stop and glass in front of you. And that's, you know, we used to do that a lot hunting mule deer in, in California in the, the northeastern part uh, you know there's just not a whole lot of master vantage points there's not the big high alpine basins it's rolling lava beds sage juniper areas you know so it was you had to kind of do that a lot and mess mess my fair share of them up going too fast or not glassing ahead and you know walking up and just about kicking one out of their bed and by then it's you know you're busted but you see it made a lot of mistakes along the way <laughs> Me too. Yeah, I grew up Pacific Northwest and, um, yeah. you know, that's still hunting. You're right. It's an art and it's an utter, uh, underutilized skill. Like, um, like all these different methods, like, uh, to, to be the best hunter we can be, like you, you've got to, uh, take advantage of these, these different tools, you know, and, and you're right. Like hunting the thick timber, like I'm finding now, like this range I hunted this year is a high pressured elk unit. And, and I rely, I realized, I think I rely too much on my glass and glassing up these elk and getting play in these parks where, you know, a lot of these elk were timbered up by daybreak, day in, day out. And they were running a lot of thick timber and downfall and things where they'd get away from hunters and get away from the pressure. And I had, you know, an unbelievable season really targeting them in these thick areas and really using, um, you know, echo locating using their bugles, which I've done before. And it, it seems like elk hunting, it's knowing when to slow down. I thought you mentioned something really important too, is hard trails. Like a hard trail is your best friend in the, in the timber, in the downfall, like a hard trail will just make you quiet. You can approach like there's, there's so many like little tricks to it, you know, when you're still hunting. And, and the other thing you mentioned is to glass. It's like, uh, just because you're in the timber doesn't mean you don't have to glass. Like you got to glass 
every few steps. And it's it's exhausting still hunting because you have to move slow for a long period of time. Now, elk are a little bit different when you're hearing bugles or like axis deer when you're hearing calls is that, you know, you can move quick to try to keep up to them as they're moving and, and kind of you can tell how far they are by their bugle. And then you can kind of slow down as you get closer. But really that that still hunting, knowing when to slow down and when to speed up and when to catch up and, you know, also like you were talking like when they're in their bed, like I prefer to have a morning and evening on their feet, uh, but there is a time and a place to still hunt them in their bed and you can glass them. You know, they're going to be on the benches, you know, they're going to be on the ridge lines, on the little flat spots. And so, you know, you can kind of peek over the top of things and glass them up and um, man, there's some great opportunities to be had. Like I said, you know, my bull this year, um, well, the bull I killed, I ended up killing in a little bit more open spot where I was able to hear him and then glass him up and then make a calculated play down in stock. But the calculated play is to drop down in and on him. Like to kill an elk, you got to be into an elk. And so, yeah. you know, I had to commit to him with a good wind and then just start sneaking down in the timber. And the, the art is like to keep the element of surprise to see them before they see you. Yep, a hundred percent. That's I, I, I didn't make any sounds this whole day. I might as well have just left my calls at the camp. But you know, I glassed them up coming from feeding on the south facing to the north facing slope for, and I, I stayed close enough and kind of worked with the wind at swirling that time of the morning. But you know, just working close enough to where I could hear where they're going in the timber. And so by the time they bedded down, I could hear them, and they were I was only a couple hundred yards from them the whole time just keeping it close enough because they weren't bugling so i was kind of using like you said the echolocation but just more from the sticks and branches breaking and everything else just the general elk noises rather than the bugles but keeping them close and i glassed up a bunch of cows first before i ever saw this bull just creeping but you're right it is so exhausting trying to <laughs> still hunt through there because you're you know you're having to just control your body movements so slow and so methodical that it, it wears you out, especially when you're carrying a pack too. Oh, it's so exhausting to move slow like that. Move yeah. still into, um, sometimes you have to freeze for, you know, five yeah. minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, you know, have a yeah. cow looking in your direction. And, yeah, um, it's yeah. always like in the most awkward yoga position you can, <laughs> yeah. you can hold, right. It's like, uh, you have a, a toe just barely on the ground or something, but yeah, yeah. that's it. And like, um, or your bow held like halfway out in front of you. <laughs> and so your shoulders are on fire. You're holding <laughs> this thing out. That's exactly yeah. right. Yeah. But, it's, man. um, but there's a, there's a skill set to that still hunting. I learned a lot from like my Hawaii buddies. Um, they'll go in the oh, yeah. and, uh, chase these axis deer and, um, there's a lot of access in these excuse me roger um but there are a lot of access in these thick cover and um man they get really good at still hunting and uh it really sharpens my skills at it for sure yeah that's that was one thing i was supposed to go to hawaii i don't know what when would when did COVID hit 2020 yeah exactly yeah it was it was right when COVID was hitting we were supposed to fly to hawaii and go to hawaii for the first time and my wife was like, hey, because you agreed to go to Hawaii because I never really wanted to go. She's like, you could take your bow and hunt for a couple of days. And so I was all geared up to to do some hunting out there and ended up our flights and everything got canceled because of COVID and we haven't rescheduled. But 
I've always wanted to go out there and do that. And the goats and the pigs and the axis and mouflon and just that seems like a heck of a place to do all that hunting. Oh man, it's so fun out there. Yeah, it's um yeah, it's just like hunting different species in um in different habitats, different environments. They just help sharpen your skills and and then you know, you can you can carry those skills over to other animals or to our home animals and then you know, it's a game rich environment over there too. So you get a lot of chances, which is good for learning. You know, I always yeah. find that you know, uh, uh, like a lot of these guys that get a lot of experience are really good hunters. You know, they just like that, like we were talking earlier, that experience is a great teacher. And so, um, like my buddies in Hawaii are just absolute killers and they come to the States and they're consistently successful because they get so much time to hunt out there and in yep. such a switched on species. So, um, yeah, it definitely improves the skill set, and it's like um, it's pretty special to be in a tropic place in this uh, vacation destination and be hunting, you know, this deer that comes from India that's totally foreign to guys yeah. like me and you <laughs> from out west. So it's a really cool experience for, you know, a, a reasonable budget that you know that that a family can budget for, a guy can budget for, and then it's it's always nice when you can include your family in it. You know, we're um, uh, everybody has some fun. You squeeze in a couple oh, yeah. days bow hunting and then um, able to lay around on the beaches a little bit and relax and um, bring the wife and kids out. So, yeah, no, it's um, super fun. Yeah, you got to take advantage of it. Oh, man, it, it's it's still on the docket, but we uh, got one kid on the ground, got another one coming. So it's, oh, congratulations, uh, man. I appreciate it. Thank you. So we're trying to get all that handled. When they get a little bit older, we'll probably go back out, but. Yeah, good for Damn. you building a family, man. It's um, it's uh, there's nothing like it, is there? Like uh, you have your one kid, second on the way. Um, it's just this amazing journey, man. Being able to to shape a couple humans and build this this family unit, this bond, and then you know share eighteen, twenty years together, you know, as a family unit. It's like this amazing experience, you know. And you, it's it's long. It seems like a long time, but man, it goes by so quick. It's just like yeah, a, it like a blink of the eye. And so, uh, yeah, just you know, us as men, we have so much responsibility to provide for our family, and goal driven, and um, you know, career driven, and um, you know, it's tough. Like that takes up a lot of our time, and um. So it's uh, it it really is like uh, making sure that the time we spend with our family is quality, right? Even if it's only a couple hours at night or a few hours at night or giving mom a break or whatever the case is, it's like really – uh, really trying to be engaged with them and kind of leaving work at home and leaving problems at home and and not you know trying to spend that that quality and quality time like just engaging with them because I know you know that's like if I you know I try not to have any regrets but if that's if I had one like that would be it is that you know not every day but I know there was days there where I was still in the fog of work or in the fog of mm -hmm. issues and problems I was having where I wasn't engaging or, you know, laughing with them and, and having fun. I'm more inside my own head. So, yeah, I mean, I, it's tough to do. Ah, oh, man. You it's, know, um, it's, and it, it's made me a, I think it's made me a better person because then you always kind of think like the, you know, would my son be proud of this decision I made or how I am or, you know, things like that. So it's always, it gives you some pretty good perspective too. 
Yeah, you made um, some big changes as we like as we all do as as young men, right? And you, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, you have a, a stressful job, but I remember like us talking like in depth. Um, in one of the Western hunting summits, we were like sitting down visiting about it, and you talked about like some changes you made, like as far as being a hunting partner, as far as being a family man, and some of the changes you had to implement, like. Um, you know, with um, uh, uh, frustration or uh, getting angry, expecting too much. Um, yeah, yeah and, it's I, and even I think since then I've even gotten better <laughs> at it. I think life's like a journey, right? We just keep getting yeah. better at it. I hope that's the goal. Yeah, and it's uh, man, I went through some dark times during the beginning of this year, actually. And Did you? Yeah, and it just came out of it a better person though, and and. Actually, I can look back on that time, and it was probably one of the better things that happened to me. Really? Um, it, it, at least, you know, career-wise and everything else. It's, and it was getting in trouble that was the best thing. And so everybody's like, wait, what? But it, I think the positive get, came out of it was a needed change for one. And for two, it just has been tenfold better than it was worse, you know. But. Mm. It was a pretty rough time. Um, you know who Jocko is? Mm-hmm, yeah. So Jocko and his partner, Leith, they run a company called Echelon Front, and they write the books, the Extreme Ownership, mm-hmm. yeah, and I've read Dichotomy, it. and all those other ones. But mm-hmm. they've – yeah, that's that's what changed my life was the first six chapters of that book. Oh, and, uh, taking ownership over, yeah. over actions, right? And like yeah. – not making excuses and like, I, yeah, I learned some powerful lessons from that book as well. It, it makes good sense just with accountability. And yeah, it's um, it's it's really easy as us as humans to to blame other people for our situations or to blame other other people for our shortcomings or downfalls or for our problems. And um, that book does a good job of explaining like how to. Uh, you know, how, because, you know, my employee made a mistake that it's, you know, it, it's not his fault. I should have trained him better. I should have talked him through this situation better. Instead, it's like you look at yourself and how you can improve your own interaction with the world, with your workers, with coworkers, with everybody out there. And it's just like, it's like taking this responsibility and taking this ownership. And of course, like, uh, you know, go read the book. Like it's a, it, it does a way better job explaining it than, than oh, my, yeah. than my cliff notes. <laughs> I remember from 20 books back, but um, yeah. still, I remember there is some powerful lessons in that book, yeah, man. Absolutely, and the, I listened to it on audiobook. I'm not much of a reader, but so it's on audiobook if anybody wants to know. But it's uh, yeah, and the, the big takeaway that I got out of it is no matter if it's good, bad, or indifferent, anything that happens to you, you have some hand in it and the outcome, which is powerful because if you're in a bad situation. You have the power to change it. You just got to make the decision to do that, you know. And I tell people that on the streets sometimes that I run into that are, you know, in a bad situation or a bad way. And oh, you know, life's got me down. This guy's, you know, you know, the woe is me kind of attitude. And like then just change it. You know, you can wake up tomorrow and and change this path that you're on. Because I lived it. I did it. And it's, you know, it's checking your ego and realizing that you're the problem and you know not blaming other people for it and it's a powerful thing because then you could you have the power to change it you empower yourself to change it 
Yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, like working in law enforcement, like the the cool thing is, is you've been able to change your sh- yourself and then uh, share your experience with others. You know, and you you run into. Uh, I'm, I'm sure you see that a lot. Like it's so common to, to blame other people or blame other things. The other thing they did a good job in that book is framing how you look at things. Like uh, when something happens to you, good, bad, or indifferent, to look at it and say, good, this is an opportunity for me to lead here. This is an opportunity for me to get better. Like just the way they frame it is how you look at problems instead of like, you know, when it rains, it pours or like uh, uh, one thing's happened bad. Like sometimes it seems like life is kicking you in the balls over and over. It seems like you have a bunch of bad things that will happen in a row or you'll just get on a good streak and then your car will break. Or, it, you know, sometimes it just seems like it's like life is almost plotting against you and being able to reframe that and look at that in a different way of uh you know whatever it is uh, like i love to say is like a uh, uh, good you know and an opportunity to improve an opportunity to get better and really like reframing things in life like um it's it's uh it, it really does help like um uh there's just some different tools that you can use in life um you know and i don't I don't do everything perfect and I'm still improving like I'm a a work in progress as a human being but I find these tools that really help you know my thought process when I get frustrated when I'm having a bad day when I'm when I'm angry you know or short tempered like I can you know I can think of the things that I'm that I'm that I'm grateful for and I can think of you know I have the, like these tools that I can I can call upon that really help me pull myself out of this bad attitude or this bad funk uh, quicker than I would have in my younger years where it would have carried over till the evening and possibly not getting sleep that night and the next morning, you know? Yep. So That snowball keeps rolling, man. It sure does. Yeah. But yeah, that's awesome. You're able to, to implement that like in your line of work. Is it, um, is it tough in your line of work to keep a positive attitude when you run into a lot of the negative? Yeah. I mean, really we deal with, five percent of the population you know that and it but it happens to be nobody calls us because they're having a good day nobody's like hey i just want you to come over and chat about how good my day is you know everybody's always in a crisis they're always having a bad time unless you know somebody flags you down on the street just hey i just want to thank you you know kind of a thing but most of the people we run into are that way and it's it is it is tough but then you could always like you said look at it in a different way and take that positive spin and try to make that interaction positive and really try to change it oh, instead cool. of just get this one done and go on to the next one you know it's just a kind of a different outlook and it's and i used to be that way and i used to be and i think a lot of it is just your ego like they talk about in that book if you can't check your ego you can't do any of that and and checking my ego was one of the hardest things to do but once you can do it you realize that your ego is the one that's in your way it's uh it's easier to do. So true. It's like that, that ego, we just get in our own way a lot, don't we? As human beings, it's like in this pride and this ego, uh, this what we think of ourselves or what we want other people to think of us, uh, it does get in our own way of accomplishing things. It gets in our own way of human growth. It gets in our, our own way of uh, – uh, the way we react to situations, like you're right. If you can just check your ego, um, 
you know, and it it seems like you know, I don't I don't want to say as you get older, but you know, I can I can accept myself or accept that I don't know how to do things or accept that I don't know something now to where gosh, you just have so much of this ego or you're so uh uh trying to become the man you want to be when you're young that yeah, that ego sure gets in the way. Oh man. And and I probably I had plenty of conversations throughout my career of, you know, people trying to tell me the same thing that my sergeant lieutenant did that day I got in trouble, but it never, I don't think a, my ego wasn't out of the way enough. And I don't know if I was mentally mature enough, whatever you want to call it for it to sink in. You know, I think it was just the right time in my career in life to where that hit me like a ton of bricks, that, that same conversation, you know, but like you said, it's, it's, I think when you get a little bit older, you get that maturity level or wise or whatever you want to call it. But yeah, no, I agree. Yeah, good for you, um, man. Um, shooting good with that rifle, like uh, uh, you've always been so knowledgeable in uh, uh, building that rifle. What'd you shoot that buck with this year? Uh, both of them were uh, six five PRC. I built. Um, it was it. It kind of came out of nowhere. I had no plans to build a 6.5 PRC. I'd, I've been shooting. I built a 300 WSM the last few years, been shooting stuff with that, and it's been a great rifle. And then uh, after Spring Bear killing my bear, my dad came up from California, came up, and, and I took him on a Spring Bear hunt, and he killed a bear with it and really loved how I had it set up and wanted to buy it from me so i sold it to him and then turned around and drew <laughs> drew that limited entry controlled hunt and i was like dang i just sold my hunting rifle i'm gonna need to build one and so uh i had a barrel spun up by a guy local here and and built it up and got it shooting good but it a lot of, a lot goes into it i probably shot about 600 rounds through oh it since gosh. june Wow. Just getting ready for the hunt. And, it's, yeah. and that's, uh, I, I reload and I do all my own reloading and stuff. So it, it makes the cost of doing that a little bit less. Cause every time I walk into a sportsman's or whatever and I look at a box of sh- ammo, I'm like, Oh my gosh, really glad I reload. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's, um, your attention to detail, uh, that makes you, uh, both good, really good at, at, archery and your bow setups really good at your rifle setups really good with your pistol shooting like uh you really helped me with my pistol shooting and also you know i'm embarrassed to say that like a problem that i had with my gun was not cleaning it properly how you showed me where to oil that thing up on that new well it was new and um you know it's the first couple boxes shell and i just didn't think and i cleaned the barrel but you had me grease the slides and clean some of that metal debris and i haven't had an issue since so uh, but uh, uh, your attention to detail is unparalleled. Like you, you, you spend a lot of time building those rifles and shooting them. And just think about that. Like have the audience think about 600 rounds of ammo before a hunt this year. Like that is a ton of shooting. I know when I was working with my rifles really hard uh, to be really good and proficient out at the yardages I wanted to be proficient at. Like I would shoot all summer uh, long and 
maybe go through a couple hundred shells and you went through 600 this year like that's yeah. attention to detail that, but it, it really that's seems just with like that you're... one rifle i have a couple <laughs> more that i shoot competitions and stuff with so i i don't i usually go out to the range a few times a, a month and i don't I'll shoot less than a couple hundred rounds a trip. <laughs> but, uh, good uh, for you. Well, uh, yeah. well, there's a reason why you can make those shots. Uh, shots, but it's such a uh, such an advantage out there. It's uh, like having that confidence in your weapon, knowing your weapon inside and out, and knowing how to execute on animals. Like, uh, I bet you just walk around with that rifle with extreme confidence. Where it's like, if the buck you want gives you a chance, there's um. Uh, you know, you are putting that bullet in the boiler room. Yeah, and it's it does it lends so much confidence, and and that's you know these aren't just rounds off my belly shooting prone. You know these are, and that's that's just rounds fired. The dry fire practice that I do with my in, indoor kind of dry fire training stuff and shooting off of tripods and just all of that just leads to that confidence. It's like, you know, how much you shoot your bow, like how much confidence that gives you that, you know, when you practice out to, you know, shoot, what were we getting out to at the, the summit, 120, you know, yards, you're, you know, you're not shooting a deer at that distance unless it's a follow-up shot and need to get another one in them. But that you shoot good at 120, when you get an 80 yard shot or 60 yard shot, like it's just chip shot. It just feels like it's so much closer because you're used to practicing at that distance. And I, too many people, I think pigeonhole themselves into, you know, 300 yard. You know, I ran into some guys during the general season and, you know, they're looking at their rifle and everything. They're like, yeah, I was practicing out to 200 yards before I came up here. Like, man, 200 yards. That You can't even, you know, that's you. You could be at the bottom of these canyons and not get a 200-yard shot across the canyon floor. And so you just, and so I watched a lot of guys as I was sitting up on top, walking, you know, trying to just put ton or just not even still hunting, just walking through the bottom of these draws and watching them bump a deer out a couple hundred yards ahead of them. They just can't see them because of the topography, but they have to hunt that way because they can't shoot the distances that I can. I could sit up on the hillside and, you know, reach from hillside to hillside pretty easy without disturbing anything. And that's, I think that's been what's led to, to my success. Really. I don't think just the bears that I shot up here and the deer, like it's not because I'm a good hunter. I'm just an above average shooter. And have put that time and effort in to extending my effective range because these cartridges nowadays and the bullets are capable of that. You know, everybody wants to get into the ethics debate of, oh, it's not ethical to shoot something over, you know, 400 yards, whatever. But that spring bear I shot at 600 this spring, that bullet on impact had more muzzle velocity and or had more velocity and energy still than a 30-30 at the muzzle. You know, how many people walk around the woods with a 30-30? So that's fine, but shooting at 600 is not. You know, so it's... And there's a lot comes into play when you get to those distances as far as this, the wind. That's the big equalizer is the wind. It, and unless you shoot in the wind and you practice and everything, it's it's hard to judge, especially 
wind at the target, wind in between, and all the other different variations of the wind on the hillside, especially when you're shooting across a canyon, that wind might switch directions on you before the other side. And that's, you can't dry fire practice that. That's live rounds that you got to just practice. That's exactly right. Yeah, you um, you mentioned a good point of that dry fire practice. That's really helped me with my pistol. Uh, my draw, acquire target, squeeze off, reholster, like that dry fire practice, dry fire aiming. And then with rifles, it's it's always been key when I used to hunt with rifles and then, you know, train my daughters a lot, like in different shooting positions and dry fire practice. So, yeah, man, I think that's like super important. And then, um, yeah, I love what you're saying. Like, um, you know, I think I think it's a case by case basis. You know, the 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 rifles will definitely perform out there. They have the energy to do their job. And, you know, you just can't compare a guy that shot a box of shells to you that shot 600 shells, not counting your other rifles in your dry fire practice. You know, it's two different animals. And it's it's the same way, you know, with archery and practice there. And it's like, um, you know, there's a lot of up close that you can do every single day to be aiming at target, pulling through your shot. And then, you know, there is the live fire practice. And it's the same thing with archery. The further you get out there, it's the variables that get you. It's the wind drift that gets you you know that you have to be really good and on the ball and shoot a lot in the wind to know it and i'm fortunate to live in ennis montana where the the wind nearly blows every day so <laughs> yeah. i get a lot of wind practice but um yeah, but but yeah it is um like if you can extend your effective range if you can be uh, as clutch as you are with your rifle in your hands where you know you uh, of course you're humble and say you're not a good hunter just a really good shot but you are an extremely good shot and that's an advantage that you can use in the mountains to where you get an opportunity or that thing gives you a shot you're gonna put it in there you know and that's that's a super powerful skill to have both with archery and with rifles and so like this off season like I think um I think it's a something that that everybody should be working on throughout the off season to really improve their shooting whether that's with a rifle or with a bow so when season comes you know you have that that confidence and you have that um that ability and also that extended range it's like uh, just like you were talking, like how big of a difference does it make to extend your effective rifle range or your limitations from 200 to 300 yards or from 300 to 400? You get so many more opportunities And the same thing with archery. It's like if you really work at it, the arrows, the broadheads, the bows, they'll perform out there. They'll do their job. And so if you can work to gain 10 more yards on your effective range, like it's amazing how many more opportunities you'll get at 50 rather than 40 or how many more you'll get at 60 rather than 50 like having that that advantage of, of being a, a good shot you know it's something that's earned through a lot of work and discipline dedication money time like all those things you know but boy when you earn that extra 10 yards i feel like you get a lot more encounters that land inside your effective range right and that's that's what happened on that spring bear this year is it was a you know i'm not when we go out as a group it's you see it you shoot it kind of thing and my buddy was the one that spotted that bear but it ended up you know last light by the time it got to a spot that was within kind of anybody's effective range he just didn't feel comfortable taking the shot at that distance which kudos to him you know that's that's him realizing his limitations and not doing something 
that's unethical to him. Yeah, that's and I cool. think that's everybody's got their own set of ethics and everybody's got to make that decision and themselves and look at themselves in the mirror. Cause he easily could have laid down, you know, and tried to send one. And if he missed, he missed, but you know, he, he decided not to and passed it to me and was like, Hey, if you want to shoot it, send it. And I laid down and put one on him and it's a, uh, you know, but it, I think now this year he's, that should have been his bear. You know, and I I still feel bad that I shot that bear because he saw it. But at the end of the day, is I put the time in to get that extended range that you know. But he's a he's a fitness freak. We're like yin and yang. He's a does the Brazilian jiu jitsu and is just a freak of nature like you are going up the hillside. And I might be huffing and puffing when I get up there, but then I could shoot across the canyon. And- <laughs> <laughs> we all have our strong suits yeah, and weak know, suits, you know. You're gonna take advantage of them. Uh, no, that's um, that's really cool. Yeah, it's like um, you're you're spot on. Um, it's it's just all your time and work and effort and um, learning those rifles inside and out, building them. So, what's the what's the most important thing when building a rifle? You'd mentioned the barrel. Is it all the components put together, or like like a uh? You know, what is the, the secret to having a good, accurate rifle? You know, 10 years ago, you would have probably had to have gone through a custom builder and have something done. But nowadays, with the machining tolerances and everything and how good all this stuff is, is I would just as soon see a guy, you know, spend 600 bucks on a Tika and a decent scope and then sp- spend the extra money on ammo because a lot of times these rifles will outshoot the shooter. And I think that's probably more important than anything is the trigger time to get yourself. Cause you could have a quarter minute gun, but if you're a two inch shooter, you're never going to get the capabilities <laughs> out of that quarter minute gun. And yeah. so I think it comes down to the guy behind the shooter pulling the trigger. Cause you know, I, I could have thrown my buddy my rifle and, and or I could have made hit that shot on that bear with his rifle. It just comes down to the comfort, the comfort behind the rifle of the shooter. But I think the training, the rounds down range, you know, I, I really, I really like Tika. Tika makes a good, a good rifle and, you know, you buy good ammunition and just, and put some rounds down range. And I think too many people get wrapped up into the, oh, I need a, 300 Win Mag or 300 PRC or some of these big cartridges is 28 Nosler, but then they they can't afford to shoot it or it's so uncomfortable to shoot because of how much it kicks that they don't want to shoot it. And sure, you might have that hot whiz bang cartridge where you hit it in the rear leg and it dies because it's oh you know it's just call this knockdown power. Well, I would just as soon have you know six five Creedmoor and everybody's gonna hate on that, but something that you that the cartridge is just the delivery mechanism to get that bullet to where it needs to go with the amount of energy and speed that it that bullet needs to to function to open up reliably to get enough penetration to go through the vitals and yeah you can have too much you can have too little but looking at you know say if you're like hey I never want to shoot a, a deer over 600 yards cool get a 65 Creedmoor you know, you can, you get the right bullet, 
you're going to be able to kill deer all day at 600 yards with a 6.5 Creedmoor. You know, the 6.5 PRC just extends the the range a little bit as far as the the energy and the speed to open up that bullet, but it's not doing anything else that the 6.5 Creedmoor is not. It's just with a little bit extra energy. And and 20 years ago, you know, we, we didn't have it, when everybody didn't have a rangefinder and you were having to hold hair on a deer, and so you were trying to get this flat shooting fast cartridge and all that's a little bit different than now. You have a, a rangefinder that you can, you know, get the accurate range. You've got the the dial-up turrets that are accurate that you can dial up the distance, and it's just holding on the animal and pulling a nice easy trigger press. So it's I forget where we're going with this, but I can ramble on this stuff all day. I geek out on. It. <laughs> Sorry, I can listen to it all day. Yeah, but, no, it, it makes sense. But so what I was getting at is especially people that are solo hunters that don't have experience shooter spotter kind of stuff that I want to be able to see my impacts or better off my misses. Both of those bucks I shot this year, I watched the impact. The the one at 440, I watched the bullet trace fly through the air because there was enough flight time that I was able to recoil out of it and then watch that bullet hit that buck. And the buck dropped in its tracks and rolled down the hill out of sight. Well, if I was shooting a seven and a half, eight pound, 28 nozzler and that thing bucked me out of my scope, you know, then you see this all the time. Did I hit it? Where'd he, where'd he go? Did I hit it? And then you don't know. Like, I want to be able to watch that because if I missed, I would be able to make a second shot correction off of that miss um, or hit, you know. Oh, yeah, I hit him. Okay, got to get another one on him. There he is. He's standing right there instead of where, where did he go? Oh, he went up to the left, and you're trying to find him. So I would rather have a low recoiling cartridge that is still going to deliver enough energy and velocity on impact at the distances that I want to hunt be – inexpensive enough to shoot to where you can get the trigger time on you can get the practice and then be able to and that goes with weight too on a rifle everybody wants to carry around a seven pound magnum rifle but then it's uncomfortable to shoot so you're not going to shoot it and then it bucks you out on your recoil so i'm i'm in the brady miller camp where i'm carrying around a heavy rifle that that 6.5 prc i built i think was almost 13 pounds wow and that's sling ammo, you know, bipod attached to the front of it. You know, the scope was a scope I was trying out, so it was a heavier scope than most people carry around on a rifle. But I build the rifle to be accurate, easy to shoot, reliable, and then, you know, where the weight lands, it lands. Because I'm not, I'm not going 15 miles into the backcountry like you are, Brian. So, you know, I'm not counting my ounces. So it's it's easier for me to obviously carry around that kind of weight than, you know, shaving three, four pounds off of a rifle for you is going to be a big difference because of how far you go back and what you do with it. No, that makes sense. Man, it's really fun to hear somebody that's so knowledgeable and gone so deep down the rabbit hole of shooting just to hear your different theories on, on recoil and uh, tracking the shot and calibers. Um, 
like it's exactly what I what I needed to hear. You know, it's like um, uh, just really fun to hear you talk about that stuff and um, know that I can take and use that information, take it to heart. Um, yeah, man, that's wild. Like uh, you've really honed your craft of shooting and building these rifles and accuracy. Um, it it's really fun to uh, listen to. Yeah, it's it, it's just like you and your archery stuff, and I geeked out on that, and I still do. And then I got into long range shooting. And it's just it's consumed me, which is I need to have a healthy balance because I'm looking at my bow sitting over here. She looks lonely. <laughs> I haven't I haven't shot it in a couple months, a month and a half or so. So I need to start flinging arrows again. But my my shooting time in the garage because I I got a little setup in the garage that I shoot um, through paper, basically a paper tuner that. You know, I might not be able to to kind of work on the steady, you know, holding on the dot, things like that. And I can. I, I'll do it every once in a while. I'll draw little hole, uh, dots on my the paper and shoot dots. But, you know, you could definitely tell if it was a good release or not if you're tearing funky through paper. So it's a good way to get the muscle memory and the practice on a good release without, you know, having to go outside all the time. Because working the shift that I do, I'm up half the night and sleeping half the day so how are you uh working the night shift huh yeah it's a late late swing so was it uh one thirty or th- sorry three thirty in the afternoon till one thirty in the morning copy uh, yeah. yeah no that's good at least you can get some sleep there after that one thirty or after you get home that's probably not quite as brutal as like an all-night shift yeah i've I did. I've done most of my ten-year career as a night shifter, and it's a lot of fun. I and I, I'm able to sleep during the daytime. Like a lot of guys that are on graveyards are just they can't sleep. Oh, I got four hours of sleep because I just couldn't sleep. But I was able to get really good sleep, so it, it wasn't nearly as bad. But having a having a young and it's hard for me to sleep during the daytime when I'm wanting to spend time with him. So I switched shifts this year or last year. Oh, good for you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, man, um, I've wanted to have you on the podcast forever. I'm glad I, I finally connected with you. And thanks so much for taking the time and jumping on, man, sharing yeah, your man, knowledge. I appreciate it. It's been a pleasure and a privilege. I, I really do appreciate it. Yeah. Well, you're the man, Roger. Keep in touch. And um, good job making it through that, that tough time to the other side and um, looking at it in a positive light. And couldn't be happier for your success this season, man. What a buck you killed. And um uh, just a great overall season. I I know there was more I missed, so you got to come back on and talk to me again. <laughs> yeah, sounds good, buddy. I appreciate it anytime. All right, thanks, Roger. Okay. All right, man. Take care. Okay. Bye. All right, guys. That's a wrap. Fun conversation with Roger. Um, man, I really enjoyed that. Like, I have to have him back on. He's so knowledgeable about guns. We barely got into it because we were talking hunting the whole time, um, which is a good thing. I really enjoyed the conversation about elk and still hunting and uh, really happy for that guy uh, killing one heck of a buck this year uh, in a limited entry draw. So congratulations to him. I want to thank our sponsors for today's show. Uh, so I want to thank uh, Savage Arms. I want to thank Cryptech. Uh, I want to thank Outdoor Edge, uh, Black Ovis, and Camo Fire. I also want to thank Eastman's for their support of the podcast. 
and um, recording some good ones for you, so we'll continue to get them out. Um, we're coming into the off season, into tag season, so um, you know, make sure to check out our internet research tool on Tag Hub, and um, it'd be fun. We'll apply for some tags here and um, hopefully win the lotto <laughs> and end up with some good hunts for next season. So um, psyched to see what I can end up with there. Um, yeah, I, um, man, it's just been busy around here. Uh, gosh, I miss like this, the, the late November rut hunts. Um, yeah, I was able to get a rut hunt in early November that was really fun. And then, um, just, uh, uh, trying to take care of some responsibility here. We're just super busy at Barney Construction, trying to wrap up a couple homes and, um, have a couple others going in the cold and then trying to finish my own house, which is coming out really good. Um, I set those forever barnwood, barn, um, uh, uh, box beams the other day and my ceiling in my great room man super impressed with those and um, gonna move in cabinets today and hardwood flooring and it's coming I just have a bunch of other work that I need to get done and so it's um it's a priority to get my house done but uh it's uh, uh kind of in my off time or you know take a day here or there but yeah it's coming good I'm I'm really proud how this house is coming up I can't wait to um can't wait to move into it move my family into it so super psyched with that uh, looks like I'm going to be able to sneak out here. Um, got a late season tag and um, just going to do a quick trip. I've got so much going, but uh, my Hawaii friends are coming down. They're hunting, rutting mule deer. And so I want to go down and hang out with those guys for at least, you know, two, three days and um, maybe get lucky, maybe squeeze four days out of it or something like that. Just see how much I can be gone here. But, um, yeah, so I'm going to sneak down this weekend and um, uh, drive down after work, be a weekend warrior, uh, hang out with those guys and um, have some laughs and chase some deer around. So really looking forward to that. Um, we'll see what happens. So I, oh, my buddy Dan will also be down there. Always good to hang out with him. So, um, yeah, we're going to gonna hang out and chase some mule deer around. Uh, still should be fairly peak rut. Um, so yeah, really looking forward to it. It's, um, record breaking snow down there. So, um, yeah, it's going to be deep snow, big mountains, and, uh, hopefully some big rutting bucks. So really looking forward to getting out for a couple days. So, um, I'm, I'm winding down towards the end of my season for sure. And, uh, about burned every, uh, every minute of vacation time I can. And um, also a lot of responsibility around here, so just um, good I got the um, family taking care of, care of a few things and um, uh, get me out for a couple days. So um, yeah, it'll be good. I've got a, a bunch of work to get done, so just got to put my head down here next few months and um, get back to it. Or, you know, I guess I've been at it, but um, really get some things done and, and um, set myself up for um, spring and summer and next fall and things. So um, that's where my head's at. So... With that, guys, I appreciate the support. Thanks for listening in. Uh, thanks for uh, thanks to Roger for jumping on the podcast. And uh, with that, I'll check in with you next week.